0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.41 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 27th of February, 2023. This is episode 679 of Bitcoin and... Twitter's crypto ambitions are up in the air after yet another senior executive leaves. I just, it's like the guy can't keep good help. (laughs) It's just, it is absolutely fascinating to watch this entire Twitter thing just get weirder and weirder and weirder. I swear it's like, you know, you think it's bad and then, then they add shit coins you, know, you you think it's bad, and then, you know, like, Elon opens his mouth and says something else. Well, we've got yet somebody else who is, I guess, just tired of the shit, so we'll get into it. This is actually from BlockWorks. I haven't read one from Block... Actually, it's BitcoinNews.com, uh, but it's actually Block. Yeah, well, hold on for a second. That seems weird. Is it bitcoinnews.com? Oh, it's out of bitcoinnews.com, but it's from BlockWorks. Uh, If you're confused, don't be. Let's just read the damn thing. Who's writing it? Somebody whose name I cannot pronounce. Shalini Nagarajan. (laughs) Twitter's anticipated integration of cryptocurrencies into its payment services looks uncertain for now. After another string of layoffs in recent days. And let's make sure the date on this. When was this written? It was published today. You know, as far as I know, the coin thing for Twitter, like already hit the wires and it's already being used, but this is stating that now it's up in the air. So who knows what the hell's going on with this? The microblogging sites, director of product management, Esther Crawford who was working on Elon Musk's vision for payments was among those culled from staff this weekend. Oh, oh, so he just fired her. Oh, okay. Zoe Schiffer, managing editor at Platformer, first reported the news on Monday. Musk wanted Twitter to diversify its revenue streams and was therefore working to boost payments across the platform as one pillar that could bring in fresh revenue. Crawford, was to sketch out what would be required to execute this plan along with a small team, the Financial Times reported last month. Now, The billionaire CEO wanted the system to be fiat first and foremost, with crypto payments to be added at a later point. Once executed, Twitter would be somewhat of an everything app similar to China's WeChat, which facilitates instant messaging, social media, and mobile payments. Crawford wasn't just working on payments. She was also one of the executives responsible for Twitter Blue, the platform's subscription service. She became a popular figure last year after posting a photo of herself sleeping on the office floor right after Musk took over the company. <laughs> this most recent round of layoffs, Twitter's fourth round of layoffs since Musk bought the platform, saw more than 50 employees cut from teams, including engineering roles, according to Schiffer. The Verge reported Monday that a majority of the remaining product team was also laid off. Uh, this has led to speculation that Musk may now be changing tack. Twitter Twitter now has less than a dozen people working on consumer product and design, according to The Verge's uh, Alex Heath. Crawford, however, appeared to take the news rather optimistically saying she was deeply proud Of her team for, quote, building through so much noise and chaos, Twitter's staff has dropped more than 70% since Musk became CEO. Uh, There's a couple of tweets here. Let's get into this one from Alex Heath uh, that they were talking about. Esther Crawford, who has been leading Twitter's product organization, and, uh, and posted a photo of herself sleeping on the floor in the office early on, and Musk's takeover was laid off this weekend. Sounds like basically all of the remaining product organization was cut as well. He continues by saying lots of speculation among ex-employees that Musk must be about to install a whole new regime, and that's why he is cleaning house. Otherwise, the cuts don't make any sense. Quote, hard to keep the lights on with the people who were still left, one ex-manager told me. And then there's this one tweet from Esther Crawford herself that says, The worst take you could have from watching me go all in on Twitter 2.0 is that my optimism or hard work was a mistake. Those who jeer and mock are necessarily on the sidelines and not in the arena. I'm deeply proud of the team for building through so much noise and chaos. Well, of course, you're not going to, you know, most the smart money, guys, is that if you're working for a company, especially as high profile as Twitter, when you leave Yeah, you're not, the smart money is to not bad talk the boss or the company, no matter what you think. Because at that point, if you want to continue working in the industry, that kind of action could come, will, actually not can, will come back and haunt you. Like you're applying for another job and somebody's like, yeah, well, I see this tweet where you lambasted Twitter. Uh, Why do you think uh, we want to hire you at Google? Because they won't. They won't. Uh, so whatever Esther said in this tweet is probably just not true. She probably hates Elon. <laughs> she probably thinks that Twitter is burning, is going down in flames, like pretty much the rest of the world thinks. But, you know, we, we've seen this before. You know, several companies have like, you know, we thought AT&T, uh, or, well, I guess at the time it was called Ma Bell, uh, when that was broken up through antitrust actions in the, what, late 70s, I think? Or very, very early 80s, if if not the late 70s. Um, you know, people were, were speculating that the phone system across the United States was just going to die. And what happened? Well, it reconstituted itself into what is now AT&T and is a freaking behemoth across the face of the planet. I mean, way worse. They They've made the antitrust action made a way worse situation as far as trust and monopolies are concerned than Ma Bell could have ever thought about being. They actually made it worse. And that, that happened with Standard Oil as well, the Rockefellers. I mean, it's like, okay, antitrust action comes up against Standard Oil. It's like, you know, they're, they're saying, hey, look, you got too much of a monopoly on this. We're going to break up all your companies. And what happened? Rockefeller actually got way wealthier way wealthier after the breakup because he kept they were he was like now he's like he's got all these shares of all these different companies that were broken up into and so or something the mechanism kind of looked something like that it's not exactly what happened but what definitely did happen is that Rockefeller like increased his wealth like 10x on that whole deal and he was already the wealthiest man in America so tell me again how antitrust actually helps anything. I'm just saying for all of us, and, and believe me, I, I am not a fan of Twitter anymore. You know, and of course I got a personal beef. They've kicked me off of Twitter five times. You know, Labra Hodel, uh, 21 times. American Hodel, I don't know what, 16? I, I can't remember. I know he held the record until Labra Hodel from uh, Twitter uh, blew past him. And I'm I am just astounded that either one of these people Wanted to take the time to get yet a new phone number, yet a new email address, do all the things so that Twitter can't identify you as somebody who they've already kicked off their platform. And when I was looking at Labra Holdel saying that he's been kicked off a solid 21 times, I remember having to do this one time, get a new phone number from Google and do all the things. And I was like, and then when they kicked me off this last time, I was just done. Thankfully you know, Domus and, uh, I started getting into Noster and Domus and now I, I feel, I feel much better as to not being on Twitter. I, I cannot tell you it's a real detoxing moment to get off Twitter. And maybe all of us will have to, maybe everybody left on the world will have to do that because even though I've seen these things happen before and companies clearly bounce back way stronger than before, I don't know, man, this is, this is as, you know, This is a nosedive on an airplane that I swear to God, I keep looking at it going, there's no way to pull out of it. But maybe Elon will surprise us all. Who cares though? Because we got BTC Pay Server in the news. They've added Wasabi CoinJoin plugin, giving option for increased privacy for merchants. (coughs) Excuse me. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Payment Processing Software, BTC Pay Server, has added a CoinJoin plugin for its merchants, allowing them to retain privacy while managing their stores. Stores that activate the Wasabi Wallet-based Wasabi CoinJoin coordination protocol will be able to automatically CoinJoin all of the Bitcoin they receive. A CoinJoin is when two or more people combine transactions into one transaction in such a way that it's unclear who owns which coin after the transaction is completed. The plugin, developed by Andrew Camilleri, also offers a payment batching and coin join feature allowing users to pay addresses directly with a coinjoin transaction. This will save block space and enhance privacy compared to making a payment in two steps, states the press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The BTC Pay Server plugin also includes a coin selection interface that lets merchants spend their coins based on their gained anonymity scores by using the wasabi coin join protocol wait no no it's not wasabi it's wabi sabi sorry i've been screwing that up it's by wasabi but this is physically called the, the wabi sabi coin join protocol and merchants can perform arbitrary amount rather than fixed denomination coin joins, reducing the amount of non-private change users receive and making payments inside CoinJoin possible. Quote, BTC Pay Server is the most sophisticated merchant payment processing software for Bitcoin. It only made sense that it would include an optional CoinJoin plugin with the most sophisticated privacy enhancing tool for Bitcoin, said Max Hillebrand, Wasabi Wallet contributor and CEO of ZK Snacks. Users can also access a dashboard to assess the level of privacy of their wallets and the details on the current CoinJoin transaction they are participating in and gain additional insights and control with coin selection in and out of CoinJoin transactions. All BTC BTC Pay server merchants can now utilize the new CoinJoin feature. They can choose to CoinJoin for a fee with a coordinator provided by ZK Snacks, and all BTC Pay server admins can spin up their own coin joint coordinators using their own terms built upon Wasabi's wallets, Wabi Sabi coin joint protocol. If users run their own coordinator, the BTC Pay server plugin also offers an optional revenue sharing feature that donates a percentage of proceeds to the HRF and OpenSats foundations. That's I love. I really love how these people are always plugging in some kind of donation, like at almost a protocol level. It's we have we've never really seen this kind of this kind of thing before. It's almost automatic that the second that we can split some coin out, that we're going to donate, you know, X percent to the Human Rights Foundation or Open Foundation or something like that. It's almost as if, um, oh. Good humanity is built into the Bitcoin protocol. I just love it. What I would love even more is if BTC Pay Server was easier to use for you know the the regular guy on the street. I was so excited about BTC Pay Server, and I you know, and it was almost immediately added into the MyNode BTC software. And node BTC is what I use on my Raspberry Pi to have a Bitcoin full node as well as Lightning network implementations and a whole bunch of other stuff and one of the plugins they provided or one of the apps that they provided in their app store was btc pay server and i spun it up almost immediately and did nothing with it because i don't really have anything for sale but i was looking at it and i was realizing yeah this is actually not as easy as as i would like it to be that's not a complaint it's just a statement of fact you know I, I'm not asking the guys over at BTC Pay Server to drop what they're doing, listen to me, and, and you know, completely overhaul their UX. It's just a statement of fact. BTC Pay Server is not exactly the easiest thing to use, but thank God for it, right? Right. Now, huddle up at Bitcoin Park. This is written by Christian Byrne for bitcoinnews.com. Actually, yeah, this is, this is straight up bitcoinnews.com. Each month at Bitcoin Park in Nashville, Tennessee, the meetups focus on singular aspects of Bitcoin. One month, it'll be a mining conversation. and the next, it'll, it will be about investing and in building businesses in the Bitcoin space. The panel discussions are riveting and the guest speakers are at the top of the industry. Everyone is familiar with the names. In February, open source development is the theme at Bitcoin Park. The discussion on Wednesday night was around a few Bitcoin-based products that were developed independent of the watchful eye of an overbearing fiat corporation. Off the path of software development, a board game, Hoddle Up, was showcased. Dozens of people were playing at various tables. Scott Lindbergh, founder of free market kids has spent two years developing Hoddle up to educate his kids on the fundamentals of bitcoin quote my inspiration was my family i wanted a way to discuss bitcoin with my children without being an overzealous lecturing dad yeah i am so guilty of that uh, and I'm, I'm serious i'm very guilty of that scott and his wife tally would know about education as they've been homeschooling their kids for 20 years The mechanics of HODL up are inspired by Bitcoin and the components mirror Bitcoin terminology. The game mixes strategic decisions with luck so experienced Bitcoiners can enjoy some fun and fellowship. On the other hand, the game simplifies Bitcoin concepts enough to to avoid intimidating no-coiners. It is simply a game. It's a great way to start someone's Bitcoin journey. All aspects of play introduce something related to Bitcoin. For example, there are exactly 21 million Bitcoin in the game and they start on the time chain. Oh, that's nice that they're using the terminology time chain and not blockchain. Players mine Bitcoin with transactions linked by the last block's hash. Bad actors can attempt to steal private keys, but players can defend their Bitcoin by moving it to cold storage. Oh yes, there's also having events up is STEM Product Certified. STEM means science, technology, engineering, and math, and that's a a whole thing, right, all by itself. But this is STEM certified. The math required to play is simple addition, but when combined with other game elements, it might be overwhelming for younger children. The recommended age is 14 and up. The easiest way to learn is to jump in and start trying to mine Bitcoin. Typically, new players grasp the concepts concepts after a few practice rounds. The accompanying book, "Quote Learning Through Games: Twenty One Bitcoin Lessons," is a guide for those who want to take the next step down the rabbit hole. It's available for pre-sale now and will be ready to ship in March. If you'd like to learn more about Hoddle Up and Free Market Kids, you can follow the project on their website. Now, their website address is Free Market Kids, all one word. .com, freemarketkids.com. That's freemarketkids.com. And I have not seen this product personally. However, the last STEM product certified Bitcoin thing that, that I've ever talked about is, uh. well, hold on, I got one right here. Keep these things next to me. Shomery, deck of playing cards. Shomery is the classic game of memory meeting the world of bitcoin and it's just like a memory game except it has the added feature of teaching kids about bitcoin and i've played this this game with my kids and they loved it they i, they, they, I mean they were actually begging me a couple of times to play it again and you know that's when you think about it that's who you, that's your target audience and when your target audience is saying that they want to play it again you've got a hit right so i wish nothing but the best <coughs> for freemarketkids.com. Again, that's freemarketkids.com and their game, Hodl Up. If it sounds like they're a, a a sponsor of the show because I'm shilling them as hard as I can, they're not. I just think that we're entering a new phase of how things are going to be as far as podcasting and advertising. And, you know, instead of just assuming that that they've got to pay me to tell you about a product Maybe that wasn't the way to go Uh, because it's like it's really screwed up a lot of industries. It screwed up a lot of media and it screwed up a lot of minds like, you know, Pfizer being the pretty much the preeminent, uh, the preeminent advertiser and main funder of almost every media corporation on the planet, at least in the West, at least in the West. Right. So there you go. We're going to get out of that and into Oh, Gensler, yes. If you've, if you've seen a lot of talk about Gensler, this is probably why. Jesse Coin Cointelegraph. Crypto lawyers flame Gensler over claims that all crypto are securities. Oh, poor crypto lawyers. <laughs> yes, you see your death before you. Cryptocurrency lawyers have rebuffed comments made by the head of the United States securities regulator who claimed In a recent interview that every cryptocurrency except Bitcoin is the security that falls under its jurisdiction. (laughs) In a wide-ranging February 23rd New York Magazine interview discussing crypto securities and exchange commission uh, chair Gary Gensler claimed, quote, everything other than Bitcoin falls under the agency's remit. He added other crypto projects, quote, are securities because there's a group in the middle and the public is anticipating profits based on that group, which he said is not the case with Bitcoin. Jake Chervinsky, a lawyer and policy lead at the crypto advocacy group, the Blockchain Association, argued, however, in a February 26 tweet that Gensler's opinion is not the law, despite his claimed command over the crypto sector. And Jake actually says the following, quote, Chair Gensler may have Prejudge that every digital asset aside from Bitcoin is a security, but his opinion is not the law. The SEC lacks the authority to regulate any of them until and unless it proves its case in court. For each asset, every single one, individually, one at a time. You know, and it's like, and I don't have any hard feelings against Jake. You know, I've had a couple of discussions with him back in the day when I was allowed to be on the blue platform. But honestly, here's the deal. If somebody comes out that has some kind of power and says something like, you know, we're only going to allow, I don't know, polyethylene-based tires to be used on all motor vehicles, whether they're, you know, trucks or cars. Well, okay, well then, the, what do you think the lawyers for the rubber industry are going to do? They're going to do exactly what Jake's doing. Except the problem is, is that the SEC, while they're not the law, they have an inordinate amount of resources to go after every single one of the cryptocurrencies involved, except for Bitcoin. Why? Because there's no CEO, there's no central office. Hell, we don't even have a PO box nor a telephone number and an email address. Nobody can actually serve papers. See, that's the thing. If you can't serve somebody a subpoena, (laughs) then you're kind of barking, you know, up the wrong tree. (coughs) Whereas with Ethereum, Ethereum Foundation definitely has offices. All of these people at one point or another are going to be hauled up before either Congress or, you know, in front of a judge or something like that. And they're going to have to answer for the fact that they're selling an unregistered security. You may not like the fact of regulation, but it is here. It's been in place for decades. I mean, it's not like this is new laws or anything like that. People that are, you know, and I'm sure Jake would argue that, well, because, you know, because it's digital, it's different. It's not really a security. Yes, it is. These things are all securities. If, if you want me to give you my money and tell me, and then you tell me that I'm doing it so that I can make more money in the future and it's going to be done on the backs of you and your crew, that's a that's a, that's a security. That passes the Howey test. It's one of the most simple legal definitions that has ever, ever been done by any court anywhere in any country there's no getting around it and it's been in place since the what the 30s or the 40s or something like that i can't even remember when the howie test was first introduced but it's been used ever since and it's not a bad definition if i'm going to give you money and you're going to promise me more money in the future and it's done because of efforts for from you or your crew the third party then you're selling me a security. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Now, if you were selling me a wood chipper, okay, there, here's here's another transaction. I, you're making wood chippers. I want to give you my money for the wood chipper, and then you tell me, you know what? This is gonna this is gonna make you money, um, you know, in the future, either by saving you money, or maybe you can sell the wood chips, or maybe you know you can use the wood chips to grow oyster mushrooms, and you sell those at the farmer market. This machine buddy, this son of a bitch and slaps that thing on the sides. This is going to chop up all kinds of wood. You're going to be rich. And guess what's absent from that transaction. And he could be totally lying to my ass. There's no way I'm going to be able to pay this wood chipper back. And he knows it or she knows it doesn't matter. Whoever the hell's selling me this thing. You know, what's absent from this transaction is them saying the following. Okay. Now I've sold you the wood chipper, but we're going to keep the wood chipper here. And then we're going to put the wood through the wood chipper and we're going to make the wood chips and we're going to inoculate with, you know, mushroom spawn from oyster mushrooms and we're going to grow those sons of bitches. And then we're going to cut them and then we're going to take them to our farmer's market and then we're going to sell them and then we're going to send you a check. You, You see how that works? See, in the original transaction... I simply just get the wood chipper and I'm the one that actually has to do the work. At this point, it's not a security. The second they keep the thing in their possession and do the thing that they're going to do with that thing and then make me money, that's a security. And that's what all cryptocurrency is except for Bitcoin. I I don't even wish it was different. This is just the way it is. And we've been saying this, Bitcoin maximalists have been saying this for years. This isn't something new. We were saying the exact same thing Gensler is saying now, oh, I don't know, seven years ago. Some people before my time, eight, nine, ten years ago, they were saying that shit. When Litecoin first came out. People were going, dude, no, this is, this is probably going to be looked at as a security. And it's just now that Gary Gensler and the rest of the crew are starting to get behind it and say, yeah, these are securities, dude. We knew this and they weren't saying anything because it wasn't worth their time. Now, now it is worth their time. And you're going to find out exactly how bad it's going to get for shit like Solana and Ethereum and all the rest of this bullshit. And again, it's all ablative to armor, or ablative armor to Bitcoin, and I'm here for it. Although, we have some other regulators that, that might be joining the fray. The IMF, International Monetary Fund, prefers to regulate crypto rather than banning it outright, according to a report. Martin Young tells us about the report from Telegraph. The International Monetary Fund would would prefer to differentiate and regulate crypto assets rather than enforce an outright ban, though the nuclear option will remain on the table for now. A bunch of unelected people are going to tell you what you can and cannot use for money. I, I don't know why anybody listens to these people at the at the citizenry level. Speaking on the sidelines of the G20 finance minister's meeting in Benegal, whatever, India, IMF managing director, Kristalina Georgieva explained how the United Nations financial agency views digital assets and what it would like to see in terms of regulation. Quote, we are very much in favor of regulating the world of digital money. Yes, I'll bet you are. And this is a top priority, she stated. Yes, I'll bet it is. During an interview, With Bloomberg published on the 27th of February, she responded to a question on her recent comments about a potential complete ban on cryptocurrencies. She said there was still much confusion around the classification of digital money. Quote, our first objective is to differentiate between central bank digital currencies that are backed by the state and publicly issued crypto assets and stable coins. (coughs) Fully backed stablecoins create a reasonably good space for the economy, but non-backed crypto assets are speculative, high risk, and not money, she added. Citing a recent paper recommending global regulation standards, she said that crypto assets cannot be legal tender because they're not backed. However, the option to ban cryptocurrencies should not be taken off the table if they begin to pose a greater risk to financial stability, she warned. Nevertheless, good regulations, predictability, and consumer protection would be a better option and banning would not need to be considered, she continued. When asked what could cause the decision to ban crypto, she said that an inability to protect consumers from the rapidly evolving world of crypto assets would be the primary catalyst the IMF the financial stability board and the bank for international settlements are jointly preparing to release regulatory framework guidelines in the second half of this year the IMF the financial stability board and the bank for international settlements are people that have nothing to do with in our in my case the people the people of the united states we did not elect them they should have and honestly, I think if we just refuse to accept the the edicts that come out of these things, and when I say we, I mean the citizenry. I mean the, sh- the county sheriffs. And I haven't talked about this very much, but it, it, uh, just briefly to say, your county sheriff, that sheriff's job is to protect the citizenry of the county against people breaking the Constitution, and foreign, I don't know foreign. I I'm not going to say foreign materials because that doesn't make any sense. You know, foreign people coming in and and jacking with your shit, telling you that you know, like if somebody comes up on my land and says, Hey, like let's say I own like a I don't know piece of property, and somebody comes up and they're from like Spain and says, hey, you're you're we're we're taking over your property, <laughs> bullshit. I call the fucking sheriff. Sheriff comes out and pretty much instantly that no. That's not going to happen, right? Somebody jacking with me in, in many, many ways. That's the sheriff's job. You know, it's like, and the sheriff has an interesting relationship with the citizenry of a county, and it's not really like the relationship between an urban police force, like the police department, and the citizenry of a city, right? the The sheriff's job is the whole damn county. You know, the Chicago PD is just for Chicago, right? So, what I'm getting at is that we need sheriffs that will say, I'm not going to enforce a fucking thing that the IMF says. And that sheriff needs to be understanding that they're going to come and like, well, what does the governor say about that? Because the governor is the ultimate boss of that state, especially for anybody in law enforcement. So, you know, this is like how you are related to your governor through like, you know, stopping things that the IMF are doing is a relationship between you, your sheriff, and your governor. And how this is all going to work, I don't know, but I see a rise in sheriffs in counties across the United States, understanding that they have always had a lot more power than they thought that they had. That they're just supposed to make sure that people are, you know, not drinking out in the country or something like that, whatever. You know, the sheriff, I think is, a stalwart, a, a bulwark against, you know, Augustine Carstens telling us that we can or cannot use Bitcoin. And I think that we need to maybe start going up and maybe taking plates of cookies to our sheriffs and saying hello and understanding who they are, what they want, how do they serve us? It's like, you know, go to your sheriff's office and say, I'd like to talk to a deputy or something because I don't really know what you do here what, how do you protect me? You know, I think that the sheriff is, I think the sheriff is more important than we've given the sheriff's credit for, for decades. And I think it's time to take that relationship back, especially in the face of unelected bureaucrats that have never set foot in the United States of America, trying to tell Americans how they're going to spend their money and what that money should look like. Let's run the numbers. Give me some Earl. Give me some of that West Texas Earl. Down over half a point to $75.87 a barrel. Brenton North Sea, a little bit more. 0.85% to the downside. <coughs> $82.45 a barrel. And natural gas doing its weird natural gas thing. Five and a half points to the upside. $2.68 per 1,000 cubic feet. And gasoline is down a scant, 0.11%. Uh, two dollars and thirty-five cents a gallon. Metal rocks. Some of them are doing well. Gold is up a half a point, eighteen hundred and twenty-six bucks and twenty cents. Silver, however, is the only loser today, 065 percent to the downside, twenty dollars and eighty cents. Platinum is up three point seven percent. Coppers up one and a half. And palladium is up three point seven one percent. Ag is mostly down, but kind of mixed. Biggest winner is sugar, 3.81% to the upside. Biggest loser is wheat, again, uh, 1.73% to the downside. Rough rice is up a full percentage point. I got the Dow up almost half a point. S&P up over half a point. NASDAQ is up one full point, And the S&P mini is up 0.52%. Real money, eh, it's kind of languishing out there between 23 and 24,000, $23,352.43. And that's after a measly quarter million Bitcoin have been sent around the horn in the markets in the past 24 hours. 0.97 BTC have been sent, or no, not sent. 0.97 BTC is the average transaction value. The median transaction value is really low as well, 0.00 86 BTC, just over $200. in block times, 10 minutes and eight seconds. We have 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 18.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a woohoo, 30.4% rise in hash rate, we're still at 347 exahashes per second. Guys, I don't know what to tell you on this because yet last night I just kept seeing that we had hit like 435 exahashes per second, 435 exahashes per second being an all-time high. And it kind of settled back into something like 415, 420 exahashes per second. And every single time I hear news like that, I go to bitinfocharts.com to read you guys the weather report. And guess what? The exahashes that I see here are well below what I keep seeing other people saying. So I don't know what's going on with BitInfoCharts.com. At this point, I kind of don't know who to believe. But still, 350 exahashes per second. (laughs) That's a lot of security. Uh, Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin. So all the shitcoins are struggling as well. 8.1 United States pennies. We have a $450.2 billion market capitalization. That is 3.76% of gold's entire market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 13.0 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin of which there are 19,303,188.9 of and 5,411 and half of those. Are in the Lightning Network valued at 126.2 million dollars being run over 16,241 nodes, sporting 76,314 payment channels that we know about. 76% or 7 no 67.8% of all that's being run over Tor. There are eight 18,000 nope, just flipped over 19,000 transactions waiting on 29 blocks to clear, however. Looks like the minimum fee rate is still being advertised at one Satoshi per byte or V-byte. We have a downward difficulty adjustment projected for March the 10th. It's downward by 5.2%. I really wouldn't give that number much credence right now. Let's wait about four or five days before the uh, difficulty change because I'm sure uh, 5.2% is not going to actually hold. So that's gonna do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine and Svetsky is going to start us off with this one. Rather long piece, but I think that we need to start the Monday off with some good ideas. And Svetsky never ceases uh, to deliver on that. The three-generation theory. How Bitcoin reaches mass adoption in 60 years. Bitcoiners are notorious for their overestimation of how quickly Bitcoin is going to, quote, take over the world and become widely adopted as money. I've sat squarely in that camp for a long time now, but have come to think differently of late. Before you accuse me of giving up or call me a flake, I ask that you read on and reserve your opinion until the end. Let's dive in. People are very quick to project technology adoption curves onto Bitcoin, but the problem is that Bitcoin is not just a technology. It's not a smartphone or a computer or a social network or some new stock or security or a new payment method or a search engine or a messaging platform or any other new product, app, or service. Bitcoin is an entire techno-socio-economic transformation. It's a reinvention of money from the ground up, incompatible with any prior primitives. So it's not only orders of magnitude larger as a shift, but it's also completely different in its paradigmatic sense. These are massive benefits, massive hurdles. They're benefits because, one, Bitcoin has the most significant upside possible. If it is fixed in supply and the market is going for, and what the market's going for is global money, implying that it will be the measure against which every stock, property, business, vehicle, handbag, or thing that exists on the earth is evaluated, then it follows that Bitcoin will in time be the single most liquid and valuable unit of value on earth. And two, it's a benefit because if it's incompatible with the old, It is truly a paradigm shift, and if it's superior, which it's proven to be across every dimension important for money, then it will not just compete with the old guard, but it will completely replace it. This is not a carving out of a new market, but a winner-take-all and fundamentally-change-the-nature-of-the-game kind of transformation. It's much bigger. Now, the hurdles are because, one, such a transformation is a big deal. Becoming global money will not be a walk in the park. It will not come easy. It will face many, many headwinds, and corpses will line the path along that journey. Change is hard at the best of times and with the most willing of counterparts, and we've got neither of those on our side. Number two, the nature of paradigm shifts is that most people don't see them. And even when they do, they rarely understand them. As such, it takes a while to achieve critical mass, whatever the measure even means, and a much, much longer time to arrive at so-called mass adoption. Not only that, but people don't like to be wrong, especially incumbents. So other than the time factor, you have the pushback and ridicule from everyone. These are both real hurdles and necessary to recognize. You can't just close your eyes and ears, tweet that Bitcoin fixes this and pretend it's all going to be okay because, you know, number go up technology always happens. No. We need to understand that we're playing the greatest game, as Jeff Booth would say, with the greatest of stakes for the largest winnings against the greatest foes, both external and internal. We're fighting both the establishment and the very cultures that we've been brought up in. There is more change that needs to occur than any of us could possibly fathom. I don't say this to discourage you from Bitcoin or make you feel like, damn, I'm going to die before I see the upside. But to inspire you that this is probably bigger than you thought and dose you with some, real, real, uh, some realism so that you can prepare yourself mentally and quit playing short-term games, you got to pace yourself. Bitcoin is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So here's the three generations theory, large scale socioeconomic shifts take generations to settle in and normalize. The old guard needs to die, so to speak, so that those born into the new paradigm can lead. Each generation is a paradigm shift in and of itself and each successive such change brings with it a completely new understanding of and relationship to Bitcoin. So let's explore these. Generation number one, the infection stage. We are in the first generation of Bitcoin. Call it the first chapter or the first era. This era or generation will span 20 years and will form the infection stage for Bitcoin. I call it that because in this stage, Bitcoin is infecting the system. It's a virus of sorts that latches onto hosts who then act in such a way as to cause it to spread further. Its intent is to infect key infrastructure, key mines key levers and key systems in the current paradigm. It needs to initially creep in as unnoticed as possible, then form some sort of symbiosis with the host as it grows so that there emerges mutual benefits from both the ever-expanding set of hosts and the virus. In this case, Bitcoin. We've seen this happen. In this stage, Bitcoin had to prove that it was something someone would trade for money like or pizza. It had to show a significant commercial proof of concept, which it did with the Silk Road. It needed to proceed through an early stage of monetization like Mt. Gox, and it had to then inspire an entire industry of copycats because what it did was so transformative and we've seen this with shit coins. With this comes a whole lot of speculation until we finally reach significant enough saturation in total market capitalization or liquidity that we can make a phase transition to a new paradigm. We're right in the middle stages of the speculation mini era of this first generation or infection stage of Bitcoin's early life. While some of us radicals view and use Bitcoin as money and, and our unit of account, the rest of the world generally views it as a speculative asset or something you trade for more USD. There's a reason why it's correlated with markets And while there may be some signs of decoupling, it really is still early and people will continue in the near term to treat it as a risk-on asset. Some people call this a bad thing and argue that it takes away from what the promise of Bitcoin was in the beginning. But I think they're missing the point. Money makes the world go round and never more so than in the modern material world that we live in. Therefore, to have the greatest impact, and ensure the most effective symbiosis. Bitcoin has to be an economic and financial animal to fix the debauchery. Bitcoin must subsume the debauchery and then slowly, like a virus, or in the case of Bitcoin, an antivirus, infect the hosts and begin to change them. The lowering of time preference and the subsequent adaptation of maturation of people's behavior is an offsided example of this effect. If you'd like to learn more about that, see Saifedean Amis' article in the Austrian edition of the Bitcoin Times making time preference low again. So there you have it. Generation 1, 20-year time span. We're 15 years in and very much on track. We have another five years to go before the next generation. And in these five years, we will see two more halvings, an enormous amount of speculation, and a real acceleration toward the, that liquidity or saturation of market capitalization that I mentioned earlier. At the same time, behind the scenes, things will be built to set the stage for the next generation, which of course brings us to generation two, the infrastructure stage. Imagine being born in 2009, the same year the Bitcoin was. That, that actually happens to be the birth year of my daughter. My daughter has... I'm, I'm pausing here. This is me talking. I'm just going to pause just to say that my daughter was born in 2009 after, after the launch, right? Of Bitcoin. You know, it, well, at least after the launch of the white paper, she was very, very, very close to all of this to the point that, you know, this is, well, I'll give her this. She's had a couple of days in her life without Bitcoin, but none of those days outside of diapers. So she, was, she is very definitely the person being talked about here. You grow up and you come of age in a world where Bitcoin has always existed. For you as a kid growing up, you just took it as a given that money is a digital thing and this convoluted idea of opening up bank accounts or walking around with printed paper bills and plastic cards just seems foreign or strange to you. In 2029, you're turning 20 years old and perhaps speculation hasn't really been on your mind yet. Perhaps, instead, you see a problem that needs to be solved, or you simply view Bitcoin as a tool to help you solve it. Keep in mind that at this stage, Bitcoin's price would be significantly higher and the volatility lower. Things like the Lightning Network become more advanced, alongside other abstracted layers anchored in Bitcoin. And as such, you view all of this early emergent infrastructure as a toolbox, not so much a speculative asset. In fact, you might view other things that way and choose to gamble with them. But because a Bitcoin has matured and the volatility has dampened a bit, and B, so many services now offer Bitcoin as a funding option, you decide that it's the standard against which you will measure your gains. It's no longer a speculative asset first. There's even a chance that your parents were Bitcoiners of the first generation and they taught you principles or passed Bitcoin over to you and you grew up immersed in it. So not only is Bitcoin something that just has always been around, it's something you deeply understand. Neither are far-fetched ideas given the era that you've grown up in. Imagine how you and those in your generation will view Bitcoin and how you'll all use it completely differently, yes. That's why I see this next stage as a tooling or infrastructure stage. In this era, Bitcoin will finally move on from the speculators and into the hearts, minds, and hands of the builders. The 20 year olds who are raising capital and building businesses in this era will use Bitcoin lightning and other layers as tools that give them such a significant edge in the world that we will see an entire array of products and services, services that integrate money into their operations in much the same way that communication has been embedded in everything we use today. The incentives will evolve in such a way that having Bitcoin and its abstracted layers in your toolkit will give you superpowers. But keep in mind that much of this era, or for much of this era, the generation beforehand, will still be pulling the purse strings. There will still be a cultural normative element that views Bitcoin as foreign or speculative, and despite everything that's going on, will fight to hang on to the past. This era will be the clash of the new builders and Generation 1 Bitcoiners on one side versus the remaining elite of the old world who still own much of the fiat wealth, stock, bonds, property, enterprise, shitcoins, etc. Generation 1 and 2 Bitcoiners, especially in the early innings of the era, will still be outnumbered. But of course, no great man ever backed down from a fight, no matter the odds. You take this period out 20 years to 2049. And I don't think any of us can begin to fathom the kind of infrastructure, products and services that will come from it and how much the tide will shift. Which of course brings me to generation three, the mass adoption stage. This is the generation of mass adoption. This is where our children's children come of age. They will truly not know of a world in which Bitcoin didn't exist and may actually enter adulthood without even knowing what fiat is or was the era of this the end of this era is when the last remnants of our generation will begin to die off and whatever duct tape that was holding any of the old infrastructure together will melt away the city of fiat will be abandoned and will enter the true mainstream adoption phase you might be thinking quote no man No, man, it will happen faster because look at all the tech that's going to be built by then, man, quote, end quote. But I'll counter that, quote. Sure, lots of tech will be built then, but I'm pretty certain that a significant number of people will still hesitate to sell their homes, their cars, their products or services for magic internet money, end quote. That number will have shrunk significantly, but if you think the governments, large corporations and people who have succeeded in life from one method of operation are going to go all in and trust a 40 year old money over things like property that have been around for thousands of years, then you're kidding yourself. Bitcoin is where we'll end up, but the wealth needs to change hands first. And that's gonna take time. This is why I believe this third generation is where the mass adoption phase occurs. They will come of age in a world where we have superior financial technology and an economic infrastructure that will allow them to use Bitcoin as capital, the most liquid, the most widely accessible, the most significant trusted form of capital available. Take this to 2069, and you're talking about a completely different world. This is when Bitcoin truly comes of age. It's the stage when fiat either dissolves, dies, or becomes some relic of the past while Bitcoin becomes both a global settlement layer and global money. It's the point in which Bitcoin or some abstracted application layer anchored into it forms an integral part of almost all technological applications used by people from all around the world. At this point, Bitcoin is no longer the virus, but has united with and created a new host. What happens beyond that, I don't know. But it's exciting to think about, we'll be in a very new paradigm by that point. And this is all for our children's children. You'll note by my language that my certainty about what happens at each stage diminishes as we get further out. I'm pretty sure of what the next five years holds. And I have a level of confidence for at least the first half of the second era. But beyond that, I can only assume and give broad strokes as to what's likely. This is because I'm human. And humans always underestimate compounding effects. While Bitcoin is subject to more compounding effects than just about anything else we know of at least at at the very least as an asset if not other things as well with each day that passes and each new satoshi held by each new user with each new miner that plugs in each new merchant that accepts bitcoin each new node that runs and each new lightning channel that opens bitcoin compounds and grows none of us are ready for what this means across three full generations and sadly a lot of us won't live to see it, but that's the straw that we've drawn. Our generation has bestowed upon us both a gift of being the founding fathers of a new world and the curse of enduring clown world for this privilege. While we may not get to really enjoy the fruits of this labor, we will have been the generation that goes down in the history books as the ones that changed it all. I don't know about you, but that's a trade-off worth making. First generation Bitcoiners are like those who laid the foundation and the first stones for the cathedrals of the ancient and feudal eras. They'd never lived to see these structures finished and they would forever be memorialized as their founders. And who knows? Perhaps we'll look down from this next realm and admire what we've done like those greats who came before us did for their creations. I don't know. What matters and what I leave you with is this. Recognize that Bitcoin is a multi-generational phenomenon. It's not Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, a smartphone, PayPal, Visa, or stock, or a mere commodity. It's so much bigger than all of these combined. And because of how fundamentally significant this is, it will take people time to adopt it. It will take a few generations to normalize. It will take our deaths to see it reach its potential. Not that we need to be round up and shot, but that our generation needs to give way to the next and the next for the new paradigm to truly take hold. Once we're gone, Bitcoin will truly flourish. I hope you keep that in mind when you're thinking about Bitcoin. We need to be careful about projecting technology adoption curves upon it and through disappointment attempt to t- tinker with it. What is not broken doesn't always need to be fixed or upgraded. And in fact, perhaps Bitcoin's number one feature of all is the fact that it will not change or change very little in the timescales that I've referred to in this essay. If Bitcoin's consensus rules have made un- remained unchanged and it has TikTok next blocked for three, four, five decades, then people will naturally have developed the thing that matters most for these new socioeconomic standards and paradigms, trust. And as much as Bitcoiners hate that word, trust matters. The truth is you most trust that which you can verify. This is why Bitcoin will ultimately be the most trusted monetary, economic, and communications layer on earth after a few generations. I, yeah, he makes some damn good points, man, and you know, Svetsky always does. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to read this to you, even though it's, yeah, kind of kind of long. but there's a there's a thing in here that he said about. Bitcoin getting into and taking over a host like a virus or as Svetsky puts it, an antivirus. Um, You know, I love analogies. And the one that that struck me right when I read that particular paragraph was not the notion of a virus, the notion of uh, a fungus. And a very specific kind of fungus is if any of you guys out there have been watching The Last of Us, then you know what I'm talking about. It's a type of uh, fungus called cordyceps. There are many, many different cordyceps. You know, it's like we're, we're infe- our feet are infected with cordyceps right now. It's not the cordyceps that turns you into a, a fungus looking zombie, right? No. There are many, many kinds of cordyceps, but there's this one cordyceps that, is sp- that specifically targets an ant. And there's another kind of cordyceps that specifically targets a caterpillar, and in both instances, and there's there's more, but we'll just take these two. In both instances, what happens is that a spore of cordyceps, these kinds of cordyceps, falls on either this ant or this moth uh, caterpillar, and if it's the kind of cordyceps that will infect this particular, you know, the ant or the the caterpillar then that's what it does. It lays on the skin, it gets underneath a, a you know an armored plate or whatever, gets enough moisture to start making hypha. It starts penetrating the body of the ant or caterpillar. After a while, it gets all the way up to the brain. And it all during this time, it's slowly digesting the insides of the ant or caterpillar, but not to the point that the caterpillar or the ant can't walk around and do shit it doesn't completely destroy at the very outset the ability for the ant to be able to you know do things and reach for stuff but it is taking some of its its internal organs and it's it's digesting it but slowly enough so that it can do the following reach the caterpillar or the ant's brain or neural mass because we're not really talking about brains we're talking about you know a a very small clump of of neurons that Enable the ant to do rudimentary things like climb up the stalk of a plant, which is exactly what the cordyceps instructs the ant to do, and it does this in a very messed up biological way that I'm not going to get into because we're we a we don't really understand it yet. We got some some fascinating theories, but I want to get to the end of this. So it hijacks the entire ant's neural system as well as its brain. It causes the ant to all of a sudden, have an insatiable need to climb as high as it possibly can, which it does blade of grass, uh, maybe like, you know, a leaf that's of a plant that's, you know even higher than that. It tries to get it finds the first thing that goes vertical that it can, that it can find that's a plant, and then it goes up that plant, and then, at the very end, right at the very end of the last two raw of the ant is to bite as tightly as it can onto the end of the leaf, as high, high up this thing as it can get. And that's when the fruiting body of the cordyceps pops out of the little ant's head, like a stalk, and does what? Rains down other cordyceps spores and that c- completes the cycle of this particular cordyceps. It's amazing. I believe that it's more applicable to look at the cordyceps as an analog to what Bitcoin is doing to get into and quote-unquote infect an old host. In this case, your, your global elite, old world elite, the old money systems, you name it. And hijack it to do what it is that Bitcoin wants it to do. What is it that Bitcoin wants it to do? It doesn't want it to climb up a stock and, and, you know, and just completely mortify the, the old host so that it can pop out and do th- We don't need another fucking cycle of this. We need good money. And that's what Bitcoin absolutely is causing to happen in the host. Ethical action dictated by mathematics. And it is infecting. You can see it happening. These people like, all of a sudden Gensler and crew are having to pay attention to something that they never saw before. That means that the infection is causing us to take control of the musculature of the old world and causing it to turn its head and not of its own volition. We forced that action. We are the Cordyceps as well as Bitcoin, Bitcoin's code itself we we're all in this together we're like a giant cyborg mushroom god that's just kind of fucking scary when you think about it but what i'm getting at is that instead of a virus because a virus does very different things uh, it you know it it, it it happens in a different way and I, I just think that that's a that's not the best analogy so instead Look up cordyceps. I think it's C-O-R-Y-D-E-C-E-P-S. Look up cordyceps and ant, and you'll you'll find out what I'm talking about. But this infection phase lasts for a very long time. And it's not until I, and it's like and how how the fungus is getting its information back from the ant as to okay, it's time, clamp that mouth shut so you can hang on. Long enough for me to put my fruiting body out and spray you know spray spores everywhere. I no one knows. No one knows how that works. But there seems to be some kind of transmission of information. So what I'm waiting for is, when will we know when to close the clamp the mouth onto the leaf for people like Ginsler, the executive branch of the United States, the IMF, the u n, world monetary stuff. When when does that happen? When will we receive the signal to clamp the mouth shut? Because that's the very final stage. And that allows us to you know do the fruiting body, which I don't like that part of the analogy because it's cyclical. I don't need a new money. I just want a money. I want this money to just, maybe the infection is, is that it just finally just goes all over the world and infects all the other ants that have something to do with old world monetary theory. Screw them all. Well, we got better fish to fries. Coinbase is suspending. Check this shit out. This is written today by Helen Braun, Coindesk.com. Coinbase is going to suspend Binance USD stablecoin, saying it doesn't meet listing standards. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is where you see the effects of the cordyceps infection in the old world because we're seeing it. This is one of the ways that we can see the information come flowing back from the uh, host that we've infected now you got coinbase running scared because why they don't give a fuck about bitcoin they don't care about the ethics of a monetary system they're in it for themselves they always have been but it's getting worse here we go coinbase will suspend trading of binance usd starting march the 13th because it doesn't meet its listing standards the u.s cryptocurrency exchange announced in a tweet on monday our determination to suspend trading for BUSD is based on our own internal monitoring and review processes. Yeehaw! While reviewing BUSD, we determined that it no longer met our listing standards. And therefore, we will be suspending it, a spokesperson told Coindesk. Yeah, right. Bullshit. The suspension affects Coinbase.com, Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Exchange, and Coinbase Prime. Users will still be able to access the BUSD funds and withdraw them at any time, Coinbase said, "Binance uh, coin, the exchange token of Binance, dropped one percent after the news and was trading at three hundred and two dollars and fifty-seven cents at press time." Um, what to say about this? This is just Coinbase going into self uh, self uh, preservation mode because it look, you know, I mean, honestly, it, the writing's on the wall wall for BUSD. It's gonna go away. It's gonna be either regulated, uh, you know, uh, under the to the depths of the ocean. Or they're just going to say, Binance, you either get rid of this shit or we just shut you down and we will send a naval freighter over there to do it. Wherever you are, we will find you and we will destroy you because guess what? It's going to be a security. You know, and Coinbase is just, they're just getting ahead of it. That means that there's still some smart people in Coinbase, but no matter how smart you are, it doesn't make you ethical. Coinbase doesn't care about you. Coinbase has never cared about Bitcoin. Coinbase cares about Coinbase, right? So just please don't think anything else. And by the way, Binance doesn't care about Bitcoin and Binance doesn't care about you. Binance cares about what? Binance. This is the iron law of bureaucracy. It doesn't matter what the initial reason you started X foundation for is. You could have started it to worship Lucifer. Like, let's say it was the, like, you founded a foundation to be the most unethical, immoral son of a bitch you could possibly be. And even that will turn into the bureaucracy that oversees all those immoral, unethical actions. will cease to care about the immoral and the unethical actions and stop burning children in front of straw structures of Beelzebub or whatever. And just give a shit about how they're going to pay themselves. It doesn't matter. Good, bad, indifferent, completely neutral. Lawful neutral, chaotic neutral, chaotic good, lawful bad, it doesn't matter. The bureaucracy will always look after itself after a while. And then after that while, it will only look out for itself ever. And it will never give a shit about the original mission. And this is, we're seeing it now. They're all going into self-preservation mode. This will be like in the next five years, like let's talk about what Spetsky was saying. What might we see in the next five years? the death of all this shit kraken gone coin coin uh, coinbase gone uh binance gone you name it man it's they're they're all going to go down now they may survive in name but only in name i'm telling you man the sh- shit the writing is on the wall for those dudes and, and here's more about it is the sec's action against busd more about Binance than stablecoins. Cointelegraph Prashant Jha comes at it from a different angle. Binance branded stablecoin is a dollar backed stablecoin issued by blockchain infrastructure platform Paxos Trust Company, and is the third largest stablecoin after Tether and Circle USD. Paxos has claimed in the past that BUSD is fully backed by reserve, held in either fiat cash or United States treasury bills, BSD, BUSD was reportedly authorized and regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services. Paxos partnered with crypto exchange Binance in 2019 and launched the stablecoin, which received approval from NYDFS. Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao has stated that the exchange licensed the, the Binance brand to Paxos, and BUSD is a wholly owned and managed by Paxos. However. On February the 12th, the U.S. uh, Securities and Exchange Commission commission issued a Wells Notice to Paxos, which is a letter the regulator uses to inform companies of planned enforcement action. The notice alleged that BUSD is an unregistered security. Well, duh. After receiving the Wells Notice, the accused is allowed 30 days to respond via a legal brief known as a Wells Submission. Wells is spelled W-E-L-L-S, by the way a chance to argue why charges should not be brought against prospective defendants. One day later, the NYDFS ordered Paxos to stop minting new BUSD, citing specific unresolved issues around Paxos' oversight of its relationship with Binance regarding BUSD. Paxos then decided to cut ties with Binance due to regulatory scrutiny saying they are working with the SEC to resolve the issue constructively. Binance, on the other hand, Hopes the SEC won't file an enforcement action based on the BUSD saga, telling Coin Telegraph that quote the U.S. SEC hopefully will not file an enforcement action on this topic. Doing so is not justified by the facts or law. Furthermore, it would undermine the growth and innovation of the United States financial technology sector. End quote. Yeah, I don't think that argument's going to work anymore. Paxos refused to comment. Uh, Citing ongoing talks with the SEC, the company directed Cointelegraph to an internal email with Paxos co-founder Charles Casaria reiterating their earlier stance that BUSD is not a security, but nobody gives a shit except for the SEC is the only people here that give a shit about your opinion on whether or not your thing is a fucking security. And I don't know why uh, these statements keep coming out. We vehemently disagree that X is true. Well, of course you disagree with it. What's going to happen if you just sit back on your laurels and not actually say that statement? Nothing. Nothing's going to change. So let's let's continue on. Now, Tether, issuer of the largest stablecoin by market cap, didn't directly respond to specific questions about stable coins being classed as securities. However, A spokesperson from The Firm told Cointelegraph that Tether has good relationships with law enforcement globally and is committed to operating securely and transparently in compliance with all applicable laws and regulations. Are stablecoins the focus or are there bigger fish to fry? Many crypto community members were baffled by accusations of BUSD being a security. (gasps) Baffled, I tell you, they were baffled. Oh, completely flummoxed, and to see a security, uh, an enforcement action against it. This is because BUSD is stable, maintaining a one-to-one peg to the United States dollar, limiting its uses for speculation. Yeah, right. Just days after the SEC action against BUSD, rumors started circulating about a similar Wells notice being sent to other stablecoin issuers, including Circle and Tether. Circle's chief strategy officer, Dante Disparte, Quashed such rumors and said that the stablecoin issuer had not received such document. Yeah, not yet. I love this though. I'm going to pause here just. To, this is why I'm announcing, uh, being harsher in my pronunciation when I say shit like circles chief strategy officer Dante Disparte. The reason that I'm stressing that is that this is a third party. It's a third fucking party. I give you money. You promised me more money on the backs of your labor, not my own. That's a security. Now, the argument here is that, well, quote-unquote, it's stable. So, therefore, not a security. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I don't think... I, I think technically, that makes sense. But we live in the real world where, quote-unquote, technicality is just that. Well, technically... But here's, yeah, here's, here's your dose of reality. Let's move on. Speaking to Cointelegraph earlier this month, some legal experts explained how stablecoin might be considered securities. Although stablecoins are supposed to be stable, Aaron Lane, a senior lecturer at RMIT's Blockchain Innovation Hub, said buyers might benefit from various arbitrage, hedging, and staking opportunities. He further explained that, while the answer isn't obvious, a case could be made regarding whether the stablecoin was developed to produce money or is a derivative of a security. Some crypto community members have stated that the issue might not be just about stablecoins as much as it is about Binance, indicating that the SEC didn't take action against Paxos's gold-backed stablecoin called Pax Gold, Carol Goforth, a university professor at the Clayton N. Little Professor of Law at the University of Arkansas, told Cointelegraph that the issue might be more about Binance than the stablecoin. Quote, there are unique issues with regard to the particular crypto asset because it's ties to in relationship with Binance. It is possible that some of those unusual features are what the SEC is focusing on, but because part of that is a lack of transparency and accuracy in reported information, end quote. Go forth added that the price of the stablecoin is designed to be stable, which would appear to be the antithesis of an expectation of profits. Nonetheless, quote, I can see a potential argument that stablecoins make fast transactions in other forms of crypto possible, and this is, in fact, the biggest use of stablecoins to date. Accounting for a disproportionately high trading volume as compared to market capitalization, Goforth said, stating, quote, profit, in air quotes itself, could be argued to include the extra value obtained from the ability to make such trades. Although that seems a bit of a stretch, expectation of profits is important because it's one of the elements of the Howey investment contract test, end quote. Just weeks after the enforcement action against BUSD, the SEC filed a motion to bar final approval of Binance's $1 billion bid for assets belonging to bankrupt crypto lending firm Voyager Digital. The SEC flagged the potential sale of Voyager token issued by Voyager, which, quote, may constitute the unregistered offer or sale of securities under federal law, end quote. The series of enforcement actions by the SEC against various aspects of Binance's business led many to believe that the regulator was going after the exchange rather than the stablecoin industry. Amid the ongoing increase in enforcement actions in the crypto market, the SEC's jurisdiction has also been questioned, especially regarding stablecoins. In a recent interview, Jim I'm <coughs> sorry. Jeremy Allaire, the CEO of USDC Issuer Circle, said that, quote, payment stablecoins are payment systems, not securities. Allaire argued that SEC uh, is not the suitable regulator for stablecoins and said there is a reason why everywhere in the world, including the United States, the government is specifically saying payment stablecoins are a payment system and banking regulator activity, end quote. Coinbase, the first publicly listed crypto exchange on the NASDAQ, is fighting a securities battle of its own related to its staking products. It also questioned the SEC's decision to get involved with stablecoins and claim that they are securities. 2022 was a disastrous year for the crypto industry, seeing most crypto assets lose more than 70% of their valuation from the market highs outside the crypto winter the collapse of crypto lending giants exchanges and asset funds became a more significant concern many then questioned regulators for not ensuring investor security and enforcing regulations and in 2023 the tables have turned with regulatory agencies coming out in full force against crypto firms however their approach and intentions are being questioned and now that they or now that they have sprung into action it's not going to matter. That's the end of the article, and it's not going to matter. If you look like you can't be regulated, you will be regulated. If you look like you can go to jail, you will probably go to jail. If you look like you're selling a security, and that security looks like a security, then you are going to be hauled before a judge. I don't make the rules. <laughs> I don't. But we've, again, reiterating, Bitcoin maximalists, have been saying the exact same shit for at least a decade, at minimum a decade. It's like I wouldn't, before I even started this podcast, I knew full well that most of this shit was a security. And that was part of the Bitcoin education. That was part of the financial monetary education I started receiving as a side product to my interest in Bitcoin, because you can't get interested in Bitcoin and not start to go, well, what the hell's going on in the rest of the markets? It became very evident to me very quickly that all this shit is a security except for Bitcoin. It, I, I, will, I will open two slots in my three slot you know wallet for something else that's not a security, but I'm not gonna name them because I don't know what they are yet. Everything looks like a security except for Bitcoin. I'm just providing two empty slots in case something comes out of the woodwork that is like, wow, shit, that's really not a security. Cause you just don't know. And I'm not even gonna name potentials here. I'm just gonna move on. And what am I gonna move on to? I'm gonna move on to MASH. I'm gonna end the show with this one. MASH introduces ghost checkout, enabling Bitcoin payments without an account. Oh, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, do tell us more. I've never heard of MASH. MASH, M-A-S-H, a monetization service powered by Bitcoin's Lightning Network, has announced that people will no longer have to create an account on the service in order to utilize it. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, quote, we've extended a large number of our widgets to allow users to donate and spend without creating an account on MASH, You have the additional option to scan and contribute with another Lightning Wallet for a donation, to purchase something, and more. You can use any Lightning-powered wallet, including Cash App, Strike, Breeze, and ZBD. Anyone can now go to the sites that have MASH integrated and utilize the feature by selecting Pay with another Lightning Wallet, scanning with a Lightning Wallet, and then confirming that transaction. The feature has also been extended to the MASH button so that you can donate easily without being logged in. Quote, there are multiple options immediately available, including a regular lightning invoice, LNURL QR code that you can, can and choose the amount in the other wallet and a lightning address that all creators and builders get describes the release. Some of the benefits of integrating with MASH according to the release include one click boost and payments, a fluid mobile experience as well as auto contributions. So again, that's the end of the article from BTC Casey. I don't, I've never heard of MASH. Not, not a single, not a single damn time. Um. But I mean, no account, think about where this is going. Kind of had a little thought here. Let's say this, all this beautiful software from all these different people have all been created and some of it, let's say half of it is proprietary software, the other half being open source. Okay, well, let's leave the open source stuff, the the free and open source software, let's leave that on the side and just talk about, generally speaking, proprietary software that is in support of and dedicated to Bitcoin. Now, you've got a CEO, you've got an office, you've got a telephone, you can be served subpoenas. Because you're operating as a third party and whatever, now you're a money transmitter, right? Third party doesn't always mean security. if the what you're dealing is in is basically either a registered security or just something that is you know not you know that is considered money, but not a security, and you're transmitting it, then you're your money transmitter. And of course, that means that I am too, because I've got a lightning node as well as a Bitcoin full node. I'm helping the network transmit financial transactions. I'm sorry, but that I'm going to fall into money transmission. I'm never going to stop running my node by the way, but that's a side issue. The guys that are running these companies with proprietary software, let's say they all get a letter from, I don't know, NYFDS and Gary Gensler and the CFTC and Treasury and the Federal Reserve and the fat man from the BIS that says we're going to lock you up for a thousand million years if you don't stop doing this immediately. I suspect that 80% of the proprietary software will immediately be moved to free and open source software and nobody will be able to stop it as literally the last fuck you to the system by the people that are are being threatened with their very livelihood, their very freedom, their very everything. I don't know if that would actually happen, but I would laugh my ass off if it did. That is gonna do it for the morning roundup. Monday, always a good day for jokes. Actually, every day is a good day for jokes. And dad says jokes today. A man knocked on my door today asking for a donation to the local swimming pool. So I gave him a glass of water. (laughs) Uh, Gotta love that kind of attitude. Maybe that's the attitude we should be taking with the SEC and whatnot like that. I really kind of want to reiterate um, the importance of starting to look at your your county sheriff. You know, I pissed my sister straight the fuck off one day, and I didn't mean to do it. But we were, you know, I was I was talking about stuff like the International Monetary Fund and quote unquote, how dare they, you know, in you know, try to make me do something uh, that is uh, that somehow or another they've put under their purview without me electing them. Or honestly, most of these people have nothing to do with the United States of America as it is. You know, most of these people are like the IMF, the United Nations, but honestly, it's like a whole bunch of nations. None of, you know, only one of which is the United States. And I said something about, you know, it's about goddamn time that our sheriffs stand up and protect the people individually in their respective counties. And I, what, got, got her riled up is the fact that it's not that she doesn't like sheriffs or she's not definitely somebody who's like, Oh, I hate all the police, even though the police do some really crappy things and you know, they do. That's let's be honest. That's we can't really escape that. Um, it's this me railing against the, the new world order at this point, we're coming out of tinfoil hattery and firmly coming into the fact that yeah, There is a new world order. They don't like you as a citizen. They really just want the whole planet for themselves. They don't want to be dealing with 8 billion people. They want to deal with maybe a hundred million and it's all just them and their friends. That's just the way it is. I'm not, I am really, really, really not exaggerating on this. They don't like you and they never have. And the more of us that are born into this world that aren't elite, and nobody's ever really born elite. Well, kinda. But I mean, is I mean, even Joe Kennedy. The Kennedys are elite. Joe Kennedy himself, the 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 daddy of the, the Kennedys, was a rum runner. He was born poor. He didn't exactly have he wasn't born elite is what I'm trying to say. He gave birth to a family that is now firmly planted in the elite class, but Joe Kennedy himself was not elite. He was not rich. He got rich by selling, selling alcohol during prohibition. That's how the Kennedys got most of their money. Now they've, well, they've made more money by being in politics and other things. But at the time, All the money that the Kennedys had that started the Kennedys being what the Kennedys are today all came from running illegal alcohol. And a rich person doesn't run illegal alcohol because they don't need to, they're already rich. So what can we infer? Joe Kennedy, not a rich man, not born elite. So when I say that you're not born elite, I really mean it even though that, you know, Jack Kennedy and John Kennedy were born into an elite family, so therefore they're elite. I don't know. I mean, John got to be, you know, John and Jack both got blown away. And the only reason that, that Edward Kennedy, you know, was still existing is he never ran for president. He was told, I think, you know, my dad used to tell me that he believed that Ed or whoever, uh, one of the brothers was told that he will never run for president or they'll whack him like they did Jack right so these people don't like you and i think why people get mad at me when i say something like we need to depend on our sheriffs to actually produce, you know protect our fundamental rights as americans is because everybody, I don't know, we're so, maybe it's because we're so used to thinking that this is just the way the world is and it cannot be any other way. And you're wasting my time and neural energy by telling me that maybe the sheriff should defend our property rights against people that don't live in the United States. Maybe the sheriff should protect my ability to transact with whatever the fuck I want to transact with, with whoever I want to transact with for whatever reason, for whatever product, for whatever service, using whatever the fuck I want. I could give them chickens. And I would expect my sheriff, my county sheriff to protect that transaction as a fundamental right of an American under the Constitution of the United States and not allow, uh, you know, not allow, uh, like, like for instance, let's say, cause uh, let's say that I'm out on the fringe of a city in, you know, sort of rural urban fringe, and somehow or another, I'm kind of in the crosshairs of the county as well as the, as the city, and somehow or another, the city wants to perform a civil a- asset forfeiture, I fully expect my county sheriff to come out with a couple of deputies and point guns at the city cops and say, you will not be absconding with this property at all. And and if if we ever get a call from this property that you're doing it again, we will always come out and we will defend this individual and his property against you because we do not recognize your claim on this property under civil forfeit asset, uh, civil asset forfeiture, to be valid. And I'm the goddamn sheriff, and what goes on in my county is my say. Now that's a pie, in the, complete pie in the sky thing. I get it. But I think we need to encourage that activity with our sheriffs. Because these people are not gonna stop and you're gonna have more European influence upon what you can do on your property than you ever thought possible. And the people in Europe and the European Union sneeze that chickens are bad one day and all of a sudden some dude in Kansas has gotta kill his flock because of it. Fuck you, absolutely fuck you. And I really think that the sheriff at this point has been a long forgotten tool in the tool belt of the citizenry of this country. And I think we need to remember that maybe even reach out to sheriffs and ask them what they do. How can they, can you protect me against decisions that are made in other countries if they are somehow, at what point does your power as the law enforcement officer of this county, where does it end? What can you get away with? Because the sheriff is an elected official. He's not appointed by the governor, cannot be fired by anybody but the citizenry of that county, and that's at the next election. It works for me. Doesn't work for the governor, doesn't work for the secretary of state, doesn't work for the Department of Justice at the federal level. No, I elect, it's an elected position. What did I elect you for? Just because you were on the ballot, because there's this thing called the sheriff's office and it needs to be filled. And somehow or another, it's my duty to go to the polls and put your name into that slot so that that office can be filled. No, that's not what a sheriff isn't a sheriff just because we have the thing called a sheriff. The sheriff needs to be utilized. And I almost guarantee you that 80% of everybody listening to this and probably more just like me, doesn't exactly know the extent's at which a sheriff can and does operate. I think it's time to change that. Just like the beef initiative sought to go out and talk to your ranchers and your farmers, maybe we should be talking to our sheriffs as well. How do they protect ranchers and farmers? How do they protect me? Do they have any jurisdiction over me if I'm inside of a city limits? Do we really know any of this? And chances are good, we don't. But one thing that I do know, We are not leaning upon our sheriffs in the United States the way that we should. I really believe that. Have a good day. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.